job. All of our children praising the Lord. You know that gets his attention. I appreciate them. It's been a wonderful week with kids. And I appreciate Adeline singing that song. I said, what you singing tonight? She said, the Revelation song, because you're preaching in Revelation. I said, wonderful. She just about stole my text tonight, too. So, wonderful. Revelation chapter 1. Just want to look at verse 7 and 8 tonight. I want to talk about the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. Revelation 1, verses 7 and 8. If you found your place and you're able, I'd like to invite you one more time to stand and honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and errant, infallible, inspired word together. The Bible says in Revelation 1, verse number 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which, wa which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Father, thank you for the privilege and honor of reading and sharing the truths of the Word of God. I recognize, Lord, I am in need. I need you, Lord. I need your infilling. I need your strength. We need your anointing. We need your unction. We need your zeal and passion of the Holy Ghost of God to preach your Word in a way that you would be glorified and our lives would be changed. God, help me to decrease and you be increased. May you be exalted with everything we are. Help us to preach with passion tonight. May the Word of God go forth in power and demonstration. To the end thereof, our lives are changed and you're glorified. We ask it in Jesus' strong name and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Again, this two verses have to really do with the second coming of Christ. John makes an announcement to the churches that Jesus Christ is coming again. That should be on our lips all the time as believers. This is what is known as the second advent of Christ. The first advent was relatively private with little recognition by the humble shepherds, you remember, in the nativity. He came as a lowly babe in Bethlehem. He was laid in a manger. He was reared by poor peasant parents. He lived a sinless life. He bore the sins of humanity upon his shoulders. He died by a Roman cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He resurrected to life on the third day. He ascended back to glory in the clouds with an infallible promise that he would return to us in like manner. That return will be known as the second coming and that is not to be confused with the rapture of the church. I've got to say that because we just finished a study in the minor prophets. And many times they were not able in their dispensation to see in three dimensions. They seen mostly in two dimensions. They seen things together. They knew truth or they were given truth. But they sometimes as they give the revelation that God gave them. It seems like those two events were together. It was hard to separate them. We got the truths, but in this revelation, it reminds us that the second coming and the rapture of the church is completely two different 
events. In the rapture, the Lord Jesus will not return to the earth. Write that down, mark it out, put it in the back of your mind. You said, I thought he's coming back to get it. No, no. He's just stepping out on a cloud. That's what the Bible says. He's just stepping out on a cloud, and there'll be a blast of a trumpet and a shout that'll wake the dead. The Bible said, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up. I like to tell you that the laws of gravity will be defied. Gravity shall lose its grip, and all those who are the redeemed of God shall rise in the air and forever be with the Lord. I like that. Matter of fact, that Rusty says that's the only way to fly. I've begged him to go to Israel twice. He said, not on your life. He said, I promised the Lord when I was in the military, if he'd put my feet on solid ground, I'd never get back in one of those planes. He must have had one of those, he must have had one of those flights in a twin-engine turboprop from Atlanta to Tri-Cities. If you can make that, you can make anything. But we're going to fly one day. That's the event known as the rapture. And I personally believe that the rapture is the next event on the Christian calendar, and that will precede the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight our text gives us these truths that we need to learn as John uncovers for us the event of Christ's second coming, His return to the earth. Verse 7 simply gives us the nature of His coming. The Bible says in verse 7 that it will be visible. Notice verse 7, Behold, He, that's Jesus, cometh with clouds, listen to this statement, and every eye shall see Him, and they also which pierced Him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. And then John adds, Even so, Amen. So the nature of the Lord's second coming will be visible. There's a couple of things we need to notice about this visible return of the Lord Jesus. Number one, we have to talk about the clouds because it's mentioned here. If you're a Bible student, if you studied the Word of God, you know there's something about those clouds, something unique in the Scriptures about the Lord having His glory robed in the clouds. When God called Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says that He went before them in the cloud. In the tabernacle or in the wilderness, the Lord went enthroned Himself, draped with clouds upon the mercy seat. And after the Lord's bodily resurrection, after His 40-day extension, He led His followers as far as Bethany. He gave them the great commission. He promised them of the coming of the Spirit of God. And He ascended into the heavens. And they saw Him ascend. And He was robed in glory clouds. And the angel said, Why stand ye there gazing? I'd be big-eyed and wide-jawed too, wouldn't you? I would have loved to have been there. Jesus received in the clouds, taking up away from them, but he told them that he shall return in like manner. What do you do with that? You take it the way the Word of God said. He's coming in clouds. He will step out on a cloud. In like manner, he shall return in clouds. But notice the crowds. The Bible says that in the day of his coming, that every eye shall see him. And I'm not stuttering on that, nor did John hear it again. Every eye shall see him. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17 and verse 24, As like lightning, 
that lighteneth out of one part under heaven, shineth under the other part of heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in the day of His glory. When He returns, and every eye is going to see that, and they're not going to miss it. Remember, in the first advent, when He came as a babe in Bethlehem's manger, hardly noticed, very, very quiet for the most part. But in the second advent, all shall see him. If you don't believe me, Jesus said to Caiaphas, you remember in the Passion Week, before the high priest, Jesus said to Caiaphas, when he asked him, well, is he the Christ? He referred to this day, and in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, Jesus said to Caiaphas that even he would see this event, so it is true that every eye shall see who he really is. So he's coming. His coming will be visible. And in the nature of his coming, it'll also be vengeful. According to this text, the Bible said, even those, even those that pierced him and all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. And so it's a time of remorse. The second coming of the Lord is actually twofold. First, there's a little unsettled business with his own people. With the nation of Israel. Did you see that? He said, even those whom pierced him. And all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. You remember Zechariah chapter 12 verse number 10 and following. It says, in that day Israel will look upon him, Jesus, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for their only son. And shall in bitterness of tears for his first forgotten. And so they will in that day weep in contrition and repent with bitter tears. And in the remaining verses of Zechariah's prophecy, God said in that day, choir to sing about it. There'll be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. I'd like to sing along with choir. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. See, in that day, God's going to open that fountain again because there's a little unsettled business with the nation of Israel. What is that? They need to repent. They need to repent for crucifying the darling Son of God, their Messiah, their King, their Savior. I'm telling you, you're not going to reject Jesus and get by with it. There's a day of great remorse, but I told you it's twofold. There's also a time of revenge. All the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. The second purpose of the Lord's return is judgment and wrath. Every eye will see him. It'll be visible. It'll be a time of remorse, but also a time of revenge. It'll be a time of inescapable and global judgment. We're going to get on to that, and we're going to see the details of that in the remaining part of this book. When we get into all the judgments. So Christ is coming to do what? He's coming to do battle with the beast. He's coming to destroy all sin and wrong. He's coming to eradicate all those who oppose Him. He will claim this robbed and ruined vineyard as his own. The devil has had his way. But this vineyard, this world, is not his. He'll have the last word. He's coming to take back that which is rightfully his. By way of creation, by way of Calvary, and by way of conquest. He's coming again. 
He's coming in vengeance. Why? Because Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness there, the world's, and they that dwell therein. God's going to take this world back. Why? Because the song said, This is my Father's world. And so he's coming back. It'll be a time of remorse, a time of revenge, and it's also a time of victory. I didn't have to come by this way to tell you, but you already know. Let's just celebrate it together. Jesus wins. When he comes, he wins. I think it's very interesting to note that John chose to close this verse, this statement, with two exclamations. You may not know that, but he uses a Greek and a Hebrew affirmation. He starts with the Greek by saying, even so, which can be interpreted, yes, indeed. Because after he said that he's coming, every eye shall see him, Israel, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of his vengeance. And then John said, even so. John's saying to the Greek audience, yes, indeed. What's he saying? You're going to see him. Those who want nothing with Christ, you're going to see him. Those who tried to wash their hands with Jesus, they're going to see him. Even Caiaphas and the crowd that stood that day that said, Are you the Christ? He said, You have said, and you shall see. Does that not do something to y'all? Y'all just going like this. Man, that fires me up. John said, Yes, indeed. This globe will see Jesus. He's coming. He's coming in like manner. The Bible said, All those who have been against God, against the bride of Christ... Those who have been against the church, they wail. They laugh. They scorn. They make fun. They ridicule. They blaspheme. They laugh. But he's coming. They'll see him. And they'll wail. John said, yes, indeed. That's truth. What does that mean? Does that put a smile on your face, preacher? No. That puts a great burden in my heart for the apathy of the local church. We better get busy knocking on doors. We better get busy telling our family and our friends Jesus is coming. He's coming in power and in great vengeance. And he wins. So that means if you're on the losing side, you lose. You better swap sides. Jesus is coming. Then he uses a Hebrew affirmation. Amen. What does that mean? Let it be so. Nothing you can add or take away from it. If God says it, indeed he's coming. So I tell you today, there's a news flash to our world. Like him or not, Jesus said, I'm coming. He's coming. Let us be like John. Even so, amen. Yes, indeed. Let it be so. Jesus is coming to reclaim the stolen vineyard. He's coming to have a little unsettled business settled with his own people. He's coming to put an end to all sin and wrong. He's coming to do war with the beast. He's coming, he's coming, and he wins. So what do you say about that? Well, praise God, I'm on the winning side. You better make sure you are. Now, second of all, verse 8, we get to go home. The nature of his claim. Look at verse number 8. Verse 7 is the nature of his coming. Now we have the nature of his claim because he made a pretty strong statement here in verse number 8. And if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, 
you know that these words are in red, so Jesus himself said it. It wasn't John saying it about Jesus. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Boy, I hope you got something to back a statement up like that. He does. Let's look at the nature of his claim. Number one, he claims to be omniscient. He says, I am Alpha and Omega. That is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The alphabet, the alphabet in, any, in any culture is really an ingenious way of storing all the accumulated knowledge and wisdom of a particular race. And what Jesus is expressing here is he's the first and the last letter or that he is the first and the final source of all knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I think Jesus wants this world to know that it is he who had the first word and it is he who had the last word. Are, are you sure he had the first word? I am so glad you asked me that because I am dying to run to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. The Bible said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create it with the spoken word? You said, hold on. You said God. That's not Jesus. Well, you don't know much. I don't mean to be mean. I'm just trying to help you. That word in the Old Testament Hebrew language is Elohim. That word is in the plural, not by accident, but on purpose. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost got together, and they created all that is. And throughout that gospel narrative or that Genesis narrative, they continued to say, let us. And it was good. God had the first word when there was nothing but darkness and void. God stepped out of nothing and spoke. So the first word to this planet was by the voice of God. Jesus said, I'm Alpha. And by the way, this world's had enough to say. It's time for this world to be silent. Be still and know that he's God. They will one day. Remember, every eye's going to see him. He's coming. Every mouth will be stopped in judgment. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? He's going to have the last word. Can you run when judgment with me? Can you run over to the... 21st chapter of the book of Revelation in your mind. Can you go before the great white throne judgment? Can you get a picture of it back in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus tried to give us a, an illustration and a warning early on in his earthly ministry. There on the mountain, he told them, he said, In that day, the day of God's glory, the day when God judges the nations, the day before they stand before the living God, he said, there'll be many that say, but Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In other words, have we not taught? Have we not preached? Have we not proclaimed the word of God in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many marvelous works, wonderful miracles in your name? And you can imagine the litany of words and examples and illustrations you, you can hear them stuttering light along, but I've done this and I've done that and I've done this and I've done that. And The Bible said every mouth will be stopped in his judgment because in his holy sight they'll learn that all that they've done apart from Christ is wholly insufficient. And God will say the last word, depart from me ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Yeah. He has the first word, and he will have the last. He is the Alpha 
He is the Omega. The Bible teaches us He has all knowledge. He is the source and found of knowledge, wisdom, truth, and understanding. He's the divine communicator. Therefore, He is never deceived. He's never disputed. And He's never discredited. He knows all things. He has absolute knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. He is what John 1 says, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, he said, He became flesh and dwelt among us. That word logos means reason, understanding, wisdom, intellect of God. That's who he is. So he is the omniscient God. I just want to go on record and say, I praise the Lord, he is the divine communicator. I'm glad he can speak a word to me. He visited me. Such a high and transcendent and holy God, omniscient God, can speak truth to our hearts. He says the nature of his claim. He's not only omniscient, but he's omnipresent. I'm, I'm the beginning, and I'm the ending. He is omnipresent. And I'm blown away not only with his omniscience, but I am so blessed by his omnipresence. What does that mean? He has the ability to be in all places at all times, whether that's, it doesn't matter. It, 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 it transcends all dimensions, whether time or space. Our Lord is present in the midst of any company of people at any part of the world at any given time and in all times. God's at Chinkapin. God can meet with a group of believers in China. Or anywhere around the globe. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that I can get out of here and go down to a chicken house. Y'all don't like to eat chicken? I've never seen a bad chicken. I like chicken. And I can get in a, I can get in a booth or at a table beside somebody that came from a different congregation. It happens quite often on Sundays. You know, you're known by your dress or your appearance, I guess, and they'll say, you've been to church, have you? <laughs> well, yeah. Was service as good? Man, God was with us. You're not going to believe what happened at our church. Well, you're not going to believe what happened in our church. Isn't that good? Isn't it nice to hear reports across the globe where God's doing great works in regions you and I have never been in? Lives being changed, souls being saved, and He's still doing it here at home. We need to be excited that He is the beginning, He is the ending. He is, he is at all places at all times. Jesus did say, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. I love what David said, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139. David in his mind, his spiritual imagination was just, I guess, taking flights and going here and there and talking about the omnipresence of the living God. He said, Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether I shall flee from thy presence, if I ascend up to the heavens, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol or death, behold, thou art there. If I take my wings of the morning to dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Somebody should get excited that our God is ever-present. He's everywhere at all times. And He's the only one who's able to do that. The devil doesn't have those attributes. My God said, I am the beginning and I am the ending. He was with me, He is with me, and He'll always be with me. I like that. 
Did not God say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? See, I don't understand why people get that so confused. If God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm good with that. That's an eternal promise. I've said it a million times and you all just chuckle, but that's good because I've never known anybody in any minute longer than forever. I'm glad he's always with me. Then he has the claim to be omnipotent. What does that mean? All power. All power. There at the very last, he gives us a title, which is, which was, which is to come. And then he says, the Almighty. Did you notice he doesn't say a Almighty? Because there's not another. The Almighty. None like him. None like him in all the earth or in heaven or underneath the heaven. He stands alone. He is God and besides him there is no God, Isaiah said. I, I like using it in our prayer. Isaiah has inspired me. He is God and besides thee there is none else. Have you come to grips with the truth that Isaiah shares us? He stands alone from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. That's what he reminds us. He is the Lord Almighty. The Lord Jesus claims the title of the Father. And some may be skeptical enough to say, how dare he? Ladies and gentlemen, there's no rank in the, in the Trinity. You need to understand, he says that because he and the Father are one and the same. Jesus is God in every sense of the word. You need to get that. It'll straighten up and sure up your theology. Jesus is God in every sense of the word. Why? Because he is. How? Because of the resurrection. Psalm 22, this is good. Psalm 22, David, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, takes you at the foot of the cross and see the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, on a cross. He gives you tremendous details of the suffering Savior. And then that same old shepherd boy finishes up putting, putting the Messiah in a tomb. He's not finished singing. He sings a sweet song after Psalm 22. Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is. The Lord is. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. A dead Savior can't help you, can't shepherd you. He is. So I want you to understand, he said, I am he who is because of the resurrection. The Bible also goes on to tell us in this text that he was, which refers to the pre-incarnated state of the Lord Jesus. You don't think he showed up in Matthew's gospel for the first time as a babe in a manger. Oh, come on. Who do you think the fourth man in the fire was? Do you need a lost pagan king to tell you? I like that story, don't you? Well, our God's able to deliver if he does, or if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. Throw us in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got pushed in the fire. Don't tell me it wasn't a hot fire because those just got near died. They got in, and that king said, Ho, ho, whoa, hold on. I know it's a Stony Creek translation. Whoa, did we not cast three men into that fire? Yes, sir, king, we sure did. And we're not getting too close because the other guys died. Well, I don't have to be that close, but I can see. We throw three in there, 
But now there's a fourth man in the fire. Who is that? Matter of fact, he looks like the son of the living God. <laughs> That's good. Oh, Joshua run headlong into him. You remember back there in the, in the battle through the promised land and there's a little problem here and there and there's some sin in the camp and he got down and throwed dust up and was just tore all to pieces because he's got blindsided by a bunch of out of the will of Baptists. They'll do that to you. And all of a sudden, the messenger of the Lord, none other than the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus, he said, get up, get up, flame, sword drawn, flame and sword drawn, get up. Joshua said, are you for us or are you against us? I believe there was a holy chuckle. Uh-uh. He said, I didn't come to take sides. I come to take over. For I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. Who do you think that is? That's no angel in glory. That's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus. Do you got it? Do I need to go on? The whole Old Testament's filled with it. He did not show up just at Bethlehem's manger. I'm telling you, he is, he was, he's always been. The Bible said he forever will be. And so the Bible teaches us he's also is the one to come. Why? Because of the revelation. Because of the revelation. Remember, he's coming, and every eye shall see him. He, like the Father in heaven, there has never been a time, or will there ever be a time where he was not? He is the Almighty. You can't place him on a timeline because he is the timeline. The Lord Jesus has been given all power in heaven and in earth. Nations have failed, and they will fall prey to the beast. Israel has failed, but God never fails. Jesus is coming again, and by the way, not on a lowly donkey, on a fiery white stallion, according to Revelation 19, with a sharp sword that will smite the nations. He will rule with a rod of iron, and he will establish his kingdom and his power and his glory forever. And I'm all right with that. He's coming. I'm not a fan. Never have been a fan. I, I don't know that I've ever watched one episode of it, to be honest with you. I know I've flipped past it a time or two, but late night talk show host Johnny Carson. He, he had Dr. Billy Graham on one time. I didn't watch this, but when I found out about it, I went back. Pulled up the clip. I, I've got it wrote down for you because I thought it's very important. Interviewing Dr. Billy Graham on The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson stated to Dr. Billy Graham, You know, I bet if Jesus Christ were to ever come back to this earth again, we would do him in again. Dr. Billy Graham leaned over that little desk there between them. Dr. Graham said to him very soberly, Well, Johnny, the Bible promises that Jesus will someday return to the earth again. He came the first time in love. The next time, he'll come in power and in vengeance, and no one will do him in. He is Almighty God. It's not a question of whether or not all men will confess him as Lord and King. The only question is when they will do so. 
It will either be done freely on earth, here and now, or it will be forcefully done hereafter. What, what do you mean by that? I mean just what I said. Philippians chapter 2 gives us this illustration. I, I want to tell you, I was able to use this as an encounter with one of my former neighbors. I had a professor at East Tennessee State University who lived near me. She, she, liked to, she was nice to me. She was, she was good to me. But she liked to tell everybody, and if you, if you saw her car, you would know it from all of her bumper stickers, that, that she, she, uh, she was an outspoken atheist, didn't need God, didn't need a man. She was loud and proud about it. But she's my neighbor. What do you do? Well, you do what you became commissioned to do. You share the gospel. So I, I go up and I knock on the door. She came out and we had a pleasant conversation for a second. But my job's not just to talk about nothing. My job's to ask God to take the conversation and turn it towards the gospel. Trust me, if you do that every day, he'll open a wide door. You all know that. You're conscious out there. You're doing that. And so I began to talk to her and... About midstream, she stopped me and she said, you, you know me better than that. She said, I'm not interested in coming to your church. I'm not interested in becoming a Baptist. I'm not interested in becoming a Christian. And I said, well, that's hard. And that saddens me. Because that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I'd like to see other people receive what I've received in Jesus. Then she began to say, I'm not even sure there's a Jesus. I'm not even sure there's a God. I don't believe in that stuff. And she said, you can, you can go on unless we change the conversation. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to leave. I said, but would you mind me giving you one bit of truth before I leave? I, I just want to share one scripture with you, and I'll not bother you anymore. She said, go ahead. I'm glad she did because I was going to do it anyway. But I said, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that God's given him a name above every name. Highly exalted. The name of Jesus. And at that name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in that, there's an interjected thought. I, I left that out, not on purpose, but he says, those on the earth, those in heaven, and even those under the earth. Oh, yeah. Every eye shall see him. I'm still in the text. <laughs> of all generations, of all dispensations, they'll see him. The joy of the gospel is the word of God can speak to my heart. Show me truth. Know in me that there is a God in heaven who gave his only begotten son for such a wretch like me. I got the story. He spoke truth to me. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to be honest with you. There was a fight. There was a struggle. But I raised the white flag of surrender. I made my way down an old-fashioned altar. And I surrendered that day 
to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want to tell you, in that moment, even up to this day present, it has been the joy of my life to bow before the sovereign king of the universe and confess him as king of kings and Lord of lords. And in that moment, I ask him, high, holy, lifted up, exalted, the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent one, who can forgive sins but God only? I said, God, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you take me to heaven when I die? And I'm telling you, it's the greatest privilege of the word and the world that God heard my despairing cry. That God from the sinking waters of sin lifted me up, saved me. And come what may, I'm on the winning side. But he's coming. And every eye's going to see him. And those who don't know him, they'll not get the privilege that I got. But they will bow. Their mouths will be stopped. They will bow. And with their own tongue, they will confess he is Lord of lords and King of kings. What do you mean? Jesus wins. All rebellion will be stopped. The sad thing is it'll just be too late. Because I'll finish that. The Bible says then they'll be bound and cast into the lake of fire with Satan, the beast, and the false prophet to burn forever and forever and forever. So don't you ever tell me there's not a high price tag of rejecting Jesus. It comes with stern consequences. I just tell you to come to the grace of God so you don't have to face the wrath of God. Father, thank you for the privilege and the honor of sharing the truths of your text. I pray, Lord, you'd take these truths and seal them in our hearts to help us to be better servants of the living God. For those that are saved, may it spur us to share the gospel because Jesus is coming. For those that are here that are lost and undone without God, may it spur them to come to the grace and the love of God where they could confess their sins, repent before the living God and be accepted and forgiven and adopted into the family of God. What an honor, what a privilege that was afforded to humanity. Lord, I pray that today your perfect will would be accomplished. And we ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.